0: you are listening to highlights of an episode of the creative process to listen to the full interview and learn more about the creative process please visit www.creativeprocess.info you have a very enviable life and and um there was something else you were talking about um Yes, all your books seem to... I mean, one of your books was literally called The Search. But they all do seem to be searching for for something. And uh, and I don't know. Do you set out... You you don't plot your books, really, I'm imagining.
1: Uh, No, I don't plot them. uh, And I say that not with any particular pride. Mm -hmm. But I don't plot them simply because I can't think of plots. All I can Mm -hmm. do is think of a... In fiction, like a little situation... And in terms of my fiction, it's nearly always exactly the same situation, which we can uh, summarise in three word, words: boy meets girl, uh, and that's uh, and then that's about it really. Beyond that, I can never think of uh, the kind of twists and turns of plot and story that you get in, uh, you know, in in the, the films typically uh, rely on. No, all I have is a.
0: Perhaps just a place really mm-hmm. well no but that's nice because what happens the plotting it seems to happen in the dialogue um, and, and that way you're, as you say you're not imposing your voice uh, upon natural situations you can plot this artificial and I, that's why I'm wondering because uh, we're talking about jazz and Uh, The dialogue is very strong in your stories, fiction and non-fiction, and your characters are very lively. I was wondering if you ever had been tempted to write for the theatre. Absolutely not. I had this stupid
1: but not uncommon prejudice against the theatre, and in my 20s and 30s, it was a source of, I I realise now, rather stupid pride that I never went to the theatre. But actually, I kind of struggle with with dialogue. Uh, anyway, I've had no urge to write either for the theater and certainly I've absolutely got, even though I live in Los Angeles now, I've got no urge to write for, even though I, I, how much I love cinema and film, I've got no urge to write for, uh, for, for the, to get involved in, in the movies. Uh, absolutely no, no desire at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of the dialogue though, I mean, one thing I would say uh, is I mean, it's really striking, I think, when you, you know, if you think of those screwball comedies of the 1930s.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just love the kind of dialogue between men and women that you get in that, in, in those films. And it always seems so far sort of ahead of its time in a way in that, uh, you know, the women are always taking the lead and they're so, yeah, I just love that kind of, uh, yeah, I just love the kind of, um, yeah, I, I just love that dialogue that you get in, in screwball.
0: Where you Seem to do in some of your other books, is that you take these stories, whether it's talking about Wilfred Owen or D. H. Lawrence, uh, jazz legends, and you make their stories very personal, almost as, if, as though they were members of your family or, or yourself, and um, and that, that makes it so much more believable than a block of dead history. It's like living earth, like what you're what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think as well. Project is that you know there's a load of books written about dh lawrence there's a load of books written about the first world war so what that did that sort of freed me from having to do lots of the donkey work in my books i didn't have to bother with all the kind of stuff that i find boring to write and that readers can get in other books so it freed me in both cases just to do the more kind of speculative uh, uh kind of because you know nobody would nobody would read my book if they just wanted a history of the First World War. And it meant, yeah, I could just concentrate on these this more kind of personal, um, you know, reflections on what the war meant to me. Always confident that by articulating what the war meant for me, for somebody from my particular background in my particular set of circumstances, that you know that that would have some kind of resonance meaning for people whose circumstances were were, were very different uh, to mine, but the condition, but that was only on condition that I remained absolutely faithful to the to the uh, you know, peculiarities of my own circumstances, and the vagaries of my own nature.
0: Then you talked also about you know, as time passes, the more uh we know the more uh, celebrated an author is, the more we're fascinated in the minutiae of their life and their manuscripts and their toenail clippings, whatever and um but I don't know you you've sort of realized this or I don't know if this is conscious choice or it's just your writing voice that you realize you put in all of this intimate menu shy and big ideas too but a lot of the the daily things so now you've saved your um future biographers or museum cra- curators along the a lot of work down the line we we know we we know how to build the dire museum in the future i think I'm uh, i am just saying. yes except it's not always true that the, 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 you know, the, the toenail clippings that you're getting oh i don't mean not toenail
1: <laughs> In a way, I sometimes think that it's when uh, the divergences from what really happened are quite small that, the, uh, the, the, that it calls for the, the services of a very, uh, a very scrupulous and clever, clever biographer. So, yeah, I don't. It's you know, it's certainly not the stuff that you get in my books about me. It's not. Uh, it's not. How can one put it? It's not. Uh, it's not uh, reliable as evidence in any. Court of law and I'm very conscious that I'm not under oath when I'm writing these things <laughs> but this film had been so important to me for so long and I found that uh, weirdly the more times I saw it and the uh, you know the, the the greater the period of time it was sort of part of me the more the more deeply moved I became i, I, I the, more, the more I was moved by it and it seemed to me an increasingly profound and important great piece of work and so I started to, I just wrote, started writing about it in this style that was in some ways singularly inappropriate in that, you know, Tarkovsky has always written about it with this great reverence and, um, you know, this great devotion. And, you know, I hit upon this style of summarizing the film in this quite sort of jokey, uh, you know, completely irreverent way. And I found that, A, that was, I was really having a lot of fun writing like that. And I also found that maybe I'd have a, all sorts of insights into uh, both why the film had such an effect on me and also how those effects were, were achieved technically. And that was one of the really great things for, for me in that I realized that some of these quite profound sort of philosophical um, uh, things going on in the film, I found that they were they were susceptible to technical explanation. A lot of the things You could actually, if you if you looked at the film closely enough, you could see how they were achieved by camera movements and all this kind of stuff. Um, So it was exactly It was uh, you know it was the same as you know I was just trying to think why is it this film has had such an effect on me? Um, And um, once again, you know, uh, a number of people felt it was entirely inappropriate to talk about this sort of saint Tolstoyevsky kind of figure in this rather in this often uh, irreverent way, but uh, you know, thank thank God I haven't got a. I'm thank God I'm absolutely incapable of reverence. Uh, it's something that I came to realise in the in the course of writing the book that reverence is just uh, is completely worthless as an analytical tool. Um, you, if, Like revering something just doesn't help you understand it or inquiry inquire into it at all. All it does is create the conditions for eventual disillusionment Um, and there's (coughs) there's an epigraph in the book from Camus when he says something like um, you know the best way to talk about things we love is to talk about them lightly Mm -hmm. and then also not in the book there's I remember another line from an early essay of Camus I think where he talks about those two thirsts without which we cannot live I mean loving and admiring Uh, Mm -hmm. and I feel that I have zero capacity for reverence but i have a great capacity for loving and, and admiring so that's
0: uh, that's what that's what's going on there i think but it's it, even without knowing all that biographical detail it seems that you've got you've imagined yourself into their lives i mean whether the facts are true or but i felt a real sense um uh, i can't think that i've really read a lot of books about um music that Made me hear music, made me see music. You know that I, I felt it, and I I just it was like a poem. The whole thing was like a poem. So.
1: Yeah, thank you, that was the I- that was the idea really, because you know i was so interested in these uh, musicians and the music they made, but because I had no technical understanding of or ability to write about music in musical terms, the only way I could do it was to invent these scenes, and uh, you know, I really it seems that that. that did really respond to that, and also it's it's a sort of there's a bit in the new book where I talk about the way that you know um, I've become very interested in the music of Alba Isla lately, mm-hmm. and I thought I'd to like to try to write something about Alba Isla. you know, pretty much in the style of But Beautiful, and so I when we were living in Williamsburg, we I took the uh, the East River ferry, and this is all in the new book, and mm-hmm. you know, hoping I could maybe write something, and then just you know, it's just gone, I can't, that stuff which I was able to do really quite easily in my early 30s um, in But Beautiful, back in 1989, 1990, it's just gone now, I just can't, can't do it. And, you know, I sort of, I sort of regret now that I didn't include a chapter about Alva Isla back then when I was capable of, capable of writing it. Oh, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sure you could. I think you've just... Uh,
1: I couldn't, I really did, the number of hours I spent with my notebook and my, and my Walkman with um, Albert Isler tracks playing in my head and just couldn't, just couldn't summon up his spirit the way I was very easily able to summon up the, the, the spirit of uh, of these other jazz musicians. But, you know, it's, it's one of the things with the writing life, when you do it over a long period of time. Yeah. You realize that, uh, you know, you gain certain things, but oh my God, you, you lose them. Them along other things along the way too
0: want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews email us at team at thank you for listening